Father, would you just help us as we come to your word? Father, would you uh, do something miraculous so that in these moments we might hear you speak? Thank you for the miracle of, of, of your word, the Bible. Thank you for the way it's spoken to people in every age, in every continent, people from every tribe. Thank you for the way it speaks to us now. So Lord, open up my mind, my heart, that I might hear what you're saying to me. That your word is about me, it invites me, it draws me, it challenges, comforts me. And then together, that we might hear your word together, it's about us, it's about our togetherness in Christ, it's about what you're calling us to. Lord, on all these different levels, would your word come alive in our experience, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Picking up then from where we were last week, if you missed last week, you missed it, uh, but it would be really useful, I think, for you to take a, a few minutes, uh, 30-odd minutes to be precise, to listen to it, because it paints the background, paints the backdrop to the whole of this uh, series through the book of Ephesians. Paul was writing to saints Saints were ordinary Christians who'd become part of a missional movement through their families and social networks that had spread right across the uh, the, the province of what was then known as Asia Minor. Uh, and they were people, ordinary people in their places of work, in their families that had discovered that the Jesus life in them was theirs to impart and to share to others, that they were uh, equally capable as anybody else at sharing Jesus themselves. Despite the name, the book wasn't written just to the people in one place at Ephesus, but Paul was writing to this whole diaspora, this dispersed group of people that he, he didn't know, that he hadn't met personally, but had come to Christ because one Christian that perhaps Paul did know went out and won another for Christ and taught that Christian to win another for Christ. And so Paul's running to third or fourth generation Christians and uh, he's urging them about the life that they are called to live. And we saw in the first verse last week about Paul writing to the saints who were called to be faithful. Faithful not at coming to some big central church, because in those days there wasn't one, but faithful to living it, hence the name, faithful to living it wherever God had placed them in their businesses, their homes, and in their communities. This letter then hits really hard the notion that as Christian people, our Christianity or our faith is defined because we rock up to a certain place at a certain time. I'm a Christian because I, I, I go to that event at that particular church or I'm involved in those kinds of things. What Paul is saying, that we demonstrate that we are Christians because we live it, because of the life that we live where God has placed us. This, if you like, is the training center where we get taught, encouraged, fired up, sent out to live it. This is just the academic bit before we go on to do the real thing. 
Trouble is, over time, as we've gathered here, we, we've tended to think of this being the primary focus. This is where it all happens, and we go out into the week and survive it, just about, and come back in again for it all to happen. Uh, and we're trying to hear what the New Testament is saying and to, to turn around that momentum so that the momentum is out, and we come back to celebrate, be trained, encouraged, sent out uh, once more. And so as you go through the book of Ephesians, you'll, you'll notice almost uh, on every turn, on every column in your Bible, Paul urges these people about how they live, about how they live. So for example, Ephesians chapter 4, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, live a life that's worthy. Live a life, live 24-7, live uh, Monday through Sunday, live that life worthy of the calling you have already received. Or Ephesians 5, be very careful how you live. How you live, not as unwise, but as wise. The older translations, which some of you will be familiar with, the, the King James and the New King James, pick up the word walk. And uh, uh, you might be more familiar with that language. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And so famously, Watchman Nee referred to, not necessarily recommending him, but he referred to Ephesians as sit, walk and stand. Because right in the heart of this book is all about the way that we walk, the way that we live. I want us to think just for a moment about that metaphor of walking. Because it helps us to understand everything that Paul is, is saying in the whole letter. People that work with animals or explorers like Bear grill types, people like me, can tell a lot about the way that an animal or a poor person has walked by their footprint. Apparently, if you're into these things, the footprint can tell you an awful lot about the way that somebody has walked. Uh, you can tell whether it's a, a male or a female. You can tell whether it's an adult or a child. You can tell, obviously, even we might be able to work this out, the direction in which they were walking. You can tell whether they're walking with a kind of slight falter or whether they're steady on both feet. You can tell whether they're carrying a heavy load or they're just walking themselves. And so those that study footprints can tell an awful lot about the walk of a person by the footprint that they leave behind. So, and this is the question, what footprints are you leaving? What footprints are you leaving? If you think back over this last week, if people were to examine your footprints, your, the footprint of your life, what would have been left in the various places and with the various people that you uh, have met? Paul says it's the footprint, it's the walk that's so important. So to begin to capture this, last week, I asked you to begin to think about the places where God has positioned you. Remember that? <laughs> yes, Simon. No, Simon. Good morning, everybody. No, sorry, it's another place. Well, where you're asking to live it. And I, I, I invited you to think about taking your Bible to a place you wouldn't normally read your Bible. Just as a as kind of, how does this work? Just a reminder that actually my faith needs to work here, wherever that might be. I invited you to go to work early or stay behind or, or just take a moment and pray where you might not normally pray, just as a, to think through how that might have worked. I invited you to think about a conversation with someone, thinking that everything that, that, that you have is enough to uh, impart the life of Jesus in them that's already in you. And you shared that one with another, can you remember that? And you prayed for each other? 
Okay? What I'd like you to do now is find the person that you prayed with and tell them how you got on. Okay? Now, m- most of you, most of you won't have to move. Because I know you don't have your own pews, but you blatantly do. Okay? <laughs> so most of you are already in prime position to do that. Okay? Now, if you're going, yikes, the person I shared with isn't here. Well, did you upset them that much? Goodness. Um, if they're not here, okay, or, or you weren't here last week, then just turn to someone around you uh, and just share with them just for 30 seconds. What footprint did you, did you leave last week? What do you think your footprint's like? Go. Okay, the next person needs to be talking now. Swap over. Okie doke. With that in mind, let's dive into Ephesians chapter 1. You can stay where you're sitting or you can go back to safety from whence you came. Okie doke, Ephesians chapter 1, open in front of you and uh, just look at the screen for a moment. That uh, verse 1 of chapter 4 uh, kind of helps us to understand what Paul's doing in Ephesians chapter 1 because he's so concerned that we live it. And everything about chapter 1 is in order to help us to uh, live it. Chapter 1, very simply, is broken up into two sections. The first section is of praise, verse 1 to 14. Second section, verse 15 to the end, is his prayer. Now, the language in Ephesians chapter 1 is so powerful, you almost get nauseous at each mouthful. You know, if you go to a really sort of expensive restaurant, they give you a teeny weeny tiny bit of food, don't they? You know know how expensive by how small the portion is. Uh, and uh, uh, but it's very rich, the kind of restaurant where you pay per carrot, you know. Um, and uh, my only, no, a few experiences of that, my own experience, I had a client in, when I was in another life, before this one, I had a client that, that uh, uh, ran a business in Harley Street, central London, and uh, I travelled up from Cardiff to see him uh, every now and again. He'd always take me out to one of these restaurants where, you know, uh, you'd count the number of carrots, because that was like a tenner each, you know, and you go, one, two, that's a lot of money. But they were, it would fill, this little bit of food would fill you up. It's like that. Ephesians chapter 1 is like that. Every phrase, so we could spend the whole year just on Ephesians chapter 1. And that would be fine. And, and you know, preachers that have preached on Ephesians or books that have been written about Ephesians uh, are like that. One verse can fill a whole, uh, a whole volume. So bear that in mind as we rush through this morning. So, so we want to step back from it. We will get into some of the detail, but we want to step back and just see what it's there for, what it's doing, uh, how does it fit into the whole story of what Paul's writing about. Well, he's wanting people to, to, to walk in a way that's worthy of uh, their calling. Now, Paul knows that if we as Christian people, or as if, if they as Christian people are to really get out there and live the life that God has given them, they will need to continually grasp how amazing the calling God has placed on our lives actually is. Unless they really believe what's true about them, they will always struggle to live it. Because as you believe who you are, you live who you are. And if, if we as Christians don't quite grasp the enormity of what Jesus has actually done for us and in us, then we'll struggle to live up to it. What we believe about ourselves is really important in terms of the way that we live. If someone is high on a drug of some kind and believes they are Superman, tragically they will jump off a cliff. Because we act out what we believe. 
sport, you will hear people say, it's a battle of the mind. And that's so true. It's not the only truth. If you're rubbish at football, believing that you're good will not make you good at football. However, if you're good at football, but you believe that you're rubbish, you will never, ever be as good as you could be. At school, I was a cross-country runner. And there were three of us, fairly evenly matched in our mid-teens, and every week we'd have to do this five-mile or so cross-country run. And each week we raced, we'd get into the last mile or so, and the three of us were, were, were quite far out in front. The rest were sort of behind the bike sheds having a fag and stuff, you know, so, so, so finding all the shortcuts. So we're there out in front, three of us, and there's like half a mile to go. And to be honest, they were both better runners than I was. And so I knew the odds were that I was coming in third. So, all in the mind. So I say to these other guys, quite often, why don't we just all, you know, jog along? We could all come in together. What a brilliant idea. Yeah? We, we could all salvage what's left of our male pride and, uh, and we'd all come in together. And most of the time, they'd get off and they'd race off and I'd stagger behind like some spent mule. But, but, occasionally, when I was ready, up here, when I was ready, when I believed that it was possible for me to win, focused and alert, I was no fitter, they were no slower, and as we entered that half mile, I was ready. And I guess they would sense the testosterone racing around my body, and they'd say, Simon, why don't we just all go, no way, and I was off. (laughs) And on those rare occasions, when I believed that I could win, no, I lost. No, I didn't. No, no, I didn't. Pretty rubbish end of the story, wasn't it? (laughs) Um, You see, could kind of live up to what we believe. The kid that believes he's stupid will never reach his intelligent goal, even if he's intelligent. He will live out, he will act stupid. The adult who believes they can't do it often won't try because they're afraid that they might fail. There's a house in Cardiff to which I have a key. A house I would not think twice about entering, actually, any time I choose. There's no room in that house I wouldn't go in. There's no food in the fridge that I wouldn't... Well, there is some food in the fridge I probably wouldn't eat. No food in the fridge I wouldn't eat. I'd switch on the telly without asking. I'd pick up the phone. I'd sit in the garden. Why do I behave like that? Let me be clear. I don't do that in every house. But why, why in that house? Because I know that I am a loved son. It's my parents' house. I know who I am. And so I act in a particular way. Our children will rush into our bedroom day or night with any issue that has suddenly crossed their minds. If you did that, I'd call the police. (laughs) But, But they do that because they know who they are in that environment. And it changes the way that they behave. Paul, I think, is saying, in the places where God has put you, you need to know who you are. And it will radically alter the way you behave. And we need to be continually reminded 
And for some of these Christians, they've been working it out in their, in their families and workplaces and neighborhoods and so on. Paul's writing just to encourage them. Never forget who you are. Never forget the calling on your life. Believe in who God has already made you because that will enable you to live all this out. One of our paralysis is that we don't really know or believe who we are when we get out there. When there's a discussion about a moral issue, we can feel like our voice is outdated and out of touch and we're not very educated anyway, so who am I to speak or say anything? When others poke fun at Jesus, we can feel stupid that we believe in him. When we're questioned about our faith, we feel naive and simplistic in our belief, especially if we can't answer the question, we feel humiliated. And so when we get out there, very quickly we can feel different and marginalized. We can feel like the underdog. We feel uh, we've got little to offer. We can feel beaten down. And the issue for this morning is this. When we get out there, I don't think we often feel like we're sons and daughters of the living God and we're going to rule and reign with him forever. You know, imagine if we felt like that. You know, people have told you all kinds of things. Imagine your boss naked and it'll help you and all that stuff. Imagine that you are a son and daughter. No, you've got to get that vision out of your mind. That wasn't helpful, I know. Sorry. Um, Imagine that you're sons and daughters of the living God and one day soon you will rule and reign with him forever. Now who's marginalized? Now who's on the outside? Now who's the one in the corner? Certainly not any of us. So Paul starts with reminding them about what is true. And as he gets going in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, he he just gets caught up in worship. So like any preacher who loses himself, he goes from verse 3 right the way down to verse 14 without any punctuation whatsoever. He would have failed his sats completely. But it is the most majestic Greek doxology ever as he flows into all the things that are true about them, longing that as they know who they are, when they're out there, they would live up to everything that's true about them. Live as saints, know you are the blessed ones. Verse 3. Every spiritual blessing, not just a few, not just a sum, not just a little bit, but we have every spiritual blessing, what does he say, in the heavenly realm. In other words, it's the blessing that will never be robbed by the temporal things of earth. We have a blessing that no moth can destroy and rust can can, can rob us from, thieves can break in and steal. We have something that is absolutely certain and it's ours. And so when we go into the world this week, we need to know that as we look around, we're blessed. We're the ones that have exactly what this world is longing for. Nothing to offer, rubbish. Every spiritual blessing. Live as saints, know you are chosen. Now that makes a difference, doesn't it? Know you are chosen. When you get to the place where God has put you at work and you feel small and insignificant and you wonder what on earth am I doing here? When you get into the situation where you know God has for you but you don't feel like you've got the words to say, you don't feel like you've got what it takes, we are chosen. 
The people around us might say no. The circumstances might say no. The fears within you might say no. But God, the maker of the universe, says about you and where he's placed you, yes. Yes. Yes, over you, he says yes to where he's placed you. He says yes to what you can do there. He says yes to the difference that you can make. Chosen to be holy, set apart, to stand out, to be different where he's placed you. You're leaving a different footprint where he's placed you. Because that's what he's chosen you for. To be different, to be holy. Fourthly, fourthly, know you are loved. Live as saints, know you are loved. Or thirdly, I don't know. Maybe I got all these numbers wrong. Know you are loved. Really important, this one. So much of our time is spent trying to make sure people like us. So much of our time. So much of our emotional energy. In subtle ways, by our words and our actions, our appearance, our behavior. Look at me. Notice me. Please love me. Do you still like me? And we take that into our lives and it becomes a driving value. If people know I'm a Christian, will they still like me? I'm not sure I can take that risk. If I make this stand for something I really believe in, that actually people need to stand for, but what if they distance themselves from me if I do that? I'm not sure I can take that risk. Why? Because we're driven by this need to be loved, this need to be liked. If I offer to pray for that person and they think I'm really stupid, it will create distance in our relationship. Can I cope with that? Because I want people to love me. I want people to like me. And so I can live being very careful not to do anything that puts that in jeopardy. Anyone know what we're talking about? So, so I'm on my guard all the time. Ooh, 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 ooh. And, and what does that do? We kind of, we, we, instead of being who we are, we're slightly different here because that'll help with this group. And we're slightly different here because that'll help with this group. And with this group, we're quite a bit different actually because that'll help there. And what's driving us? The love of Jesus, his honor and his, in his glory. What's driving us? The life that he's played. No, what's driving us is I, I need this, I need them to like me and I, I want this group to love me and I want these people to, to, to love me and, It's time to let that go. And know that the God who made the heavens and the earth, do you know what? He loves me. He loves me. He delights in me. Not everything I do. But deeply, passionately, wildly, God loves me. And if God in heaven loves me, if I'm secure in that, then I can take a bit more risk. Can you see that? The days I know God really loves me, the days I'm a bit bolder. I'm a bit truer to who I am. And more importantly, the days I know God loves me, I'm a little bit truer to him. You see, I can risk being rejected. I can cope with being misunderstood. I can handle the hostile stare, the cold shoulder, the sarcastic jibe, if I know he loves me. If I know he loves me. And I tell you, it's exhausting, isn't it? Living up to the image that you want to betray of yourself. That's just me then. The pressure to conform. What do we sing at the end of last Sunday? Free to live. Free to give. Free to be who I am. Because of his love for me. Live as saints, know you're in the family. 
I don't know about you, but it's easy, isn't it, when you're surrounded by people that don't believe what we do, to feel like the outsider, to feel like those who are on the edge, to feel like the marginalized, to feel a bit like the underdog in the situation. Hey, you're in the family. We are the family that's inheriting the earth. Do you know that? This is our place. You know, sometimes we go with our heads bowed down. Sometimes we go somewhat apologetic that that we still hold on to those things that most educated and happy people have got rid of a long time ago. No, you're adopted in the family. Have we got something to offer? Yes. Have we got something to contribute? Yes. We're the sons and daughters that are getting ready to rule and reign to inherit the earth. No, you're redeemed. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Paul's words got bigger and bigger and bigger. Know that you're redeemed. In other words, someone paid for you. Jesus paid for you. How? By his blood on the cross. That's how much you mean to God. And suddenly we have to lift our heads up high, even as an act of faith. If, if Jesus gave his life for you and I, we cannot walk into our lives on a Monday morning with our head bowed low like we're a nobody, can we? That's dishonouring what he's done. That's dishonouring the people that he's making us to be. It's not time to be arrogant or brash or ugly. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a sense of being who God's called us to be. When I am who I am, I'm the best I can be for the world. When you're who you are, you're the best you can be. Uh, it's time to... Li- bought with a price... Jesus died for this. Uh, and uh, uh, whatever number it is, you're an insider now. Do you know, we hate being on the outside of things, don't we? Hate that feeling of being left behind, of being ostracized. No, you're an insider. No, you're part of the plan. Verse 11. You're part of the plan. Where God's placed you is part of the plan. When you're feeling marginalized, downtrodden, ostracized, it's time to rise up and know we're part of the plan. And then uh, lastly, perhaps for now, know, uh, I'm sorry, know you're part of the plan. Know your destiny. Here we go. What amazes me about Paul was his sheer confidence in the gospel. And I think it comes from this, above all other things. You see, Paul knew he was part of God's plan by the will of God, as we thought about last week. And because he knew he was part of the plan, and he knew his destiny was secure, he kind of could live out what God was asking him from that secure position. You can mock my life, he'd go, well, that's okay, I'm blessed with every blessing. You can reject me, I can deal with that, because I know that I'm chosen. You can oppose me, that's okay, because I know that God loves me. You can make me feel that I don't belong here, but I know that I'm part of the family that's inheriting the earth. You can tell me that this is not important, uh, but I know that what I'm doing is really important, because I was bought by the blood of Jesus. You can make it look like your plans are succeeding and my plans are failing. But I know, says Paul, I'm part of God's plan that will ultimately never be thwarted. So he goes, you can do what you like to me. You can beat me, you can flog me, you can imprison me, you can abuse me, you can even kill me. And in the end, I'm going to live absolutely secure because for me to live here on earth is Christ and to die is gain. Sorted. And out of that secure place 
of being loved and chosen and in the family and bought with the precious blood of Jesus and with a secure destiny and being an insider, all of that stuff and having every blessing that comes from heaven, he went out and was incredibly effective at what God had called him to do. And these people, grasping the same, had gone out all over this region of Asia Minor and were incredibly effective at reaching others for Jesus because they knew their calling. They knew their calling. They knew what God had done. And they lived that out in every way. The more you believe it, the more you will live it. And so Paul then bursts into prayer. That's the second half of chapter 1. Four main things that he uh, invites, uh, that he says he's praying about, that he invites them to join him in prayer. And four things that I'm going to ask you now to pray for one another. So uh, uh, he begins, look, in verse, in verse uh, 16, uh, he says, I'm giving thanks. He says, when I think about the fact that God has done all this for us, I can't help but give thanks. What I'd love you to do is just turn to someone around you and, and just for, for 15, 20 seconds, just pray, giving thanks to God that all the things that we've just talked about are true for that person and then swap over, go. Okay, make sure you're passing it on. If you're still the first person praying, time to let someone else have a go. Brilliant. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that uh, all this is true for each one of us in Christ today. All those things. Help us to be way more thankful. Help me to grow in thankfulness about these things that are true. And then he goes on from there. He's praying for them. He's longing for them to, to understand what God has given them, to live it out. And he says, verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to pray for each other about getting to know Jesus better because the more that you know him, the more you're aware of who he is, the greater that difference will have in our lives. Now, how do you get to know someone better? You can spend more time with them in a particular place. So if we met once a week in church, we'd know each other better than if we met each other once a month. But the fastest way we would get to know each other better is that if we met in a different place in a different environment. If I came to your home, or you came to my home, or I visited you at work, or you visited me at work. <laughs> as a thought. Um, so th- then you get to know uh, uh, that person better. Pray for each other now that they would get to know Jesus. You've got to listen to them before you can pray. Get to know Jesus in the place where perhaps they don't know him as well. Do you get what I mean? You know, in your special chair, you know Jesus well because you've got your Bible, your coffee, and this is where you pray. In church, perhaps you know him well, because this is where you meet him. In your place of work, you might not feel you know Jesus very well there. Or in your school, or your neighborhood, or when everyone's gone out of the house and you're on your own and, uh, and, and you don't really engage with God in the quiet. So where's the place that you really need to get to know Jesus in that environment? Because that will help you get to know him more and then pray for one another. So 30 seconds to share, go, and then we'll pray for one another. Okay, launch into prayer then, everybody. Lord, thank you that as we invite you to different places in our lives, we get to know you better. We invite you to work. We invite you to our family time. We invite you into our community time. We invite you into the comings and goings of our everyday life. 
hear our prayers for one another that we might know you better. And then thirdly, verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I love the way the message translates this. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he's calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for Christians. So pray for one another just now that people will know what the plan is. Why am I where I am? Why has God placed me in that situation? Pray for each other that they know God's plan for them in whatever area of their life seems appropriate from what you've been sharing. Uh, should have said at the beginning, don't leave anybody out. If people want to pray quietly, of course that's fine. No pressure uh, uh, from any of us. Just share together and, and pray just in these moments for the, the plan that God has for the people around you. <coughs> Father, thank you that nothing's by accident. You've got plans and purposes for us. In the various places you've positioned us and prepared us for as we'll read next week, that we would do the good works that Jesus Christ prepares in advance for us to do. And Lord, as we know you better, we know that we know, we know that we know that we need your power. And that's what Paul goes on to pray in verse 19. That the immeasurable great power that there is for us who believe. Isn't that amazing? What kind of power is that? Paul says that's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Let's all stand together and I'm going to pray for us that God would fill us with his power. I don't know about you, I need it every moment of every day. Notice that Jesus was going to send them out to the ends of the earth, but he said, wait, don't try and do this by yourself until you receive power. And I need power to live in the places where God has positioned me, and so do you. I don't know what body language is useful for you to to get yourself in a position to receive. It might be this kind of body language. Just as a clue, this kind of body language isn't really a a receiving position, you know. But uh, uh, just, just be in a comfortable place to receive. And very simply, Lord, you promise your Holy Spirit as we ask. And so we're asking you give us your Holy Spirit to live for you this week that you give us the immeasurably great power, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. Would you fill my life, would you fill our lives with that power now? That when I get into that place, I'm going to remember all that's true about me. I'm going to hold my head up high My heart's going to beat a little quicker. The hairs on the back of my neck are going to stand on end because I'm chosen for this place by the living God and I'm loved by him here and he's got a plan for me here and I'm part of the family that's inheriting the earth. Lift us, Lord, into that heavenly reality that makes all the earthly difference. So come and fill us, Lord. We pray that God might be in everything. Be my everything.